0: What's up, everybody? You are listening to Come On Man, a 3% man podcast. I'm your host, Paul Bauer, and I am on the road to being a 3% man just like you. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast for fellow students of Corey Wayne's book, How to Be a 3% Man, and for men who just want to be better in general. We talk about dating, gaining wealth, being happy, and using the law of attraction to get everything we want in life. What's up, brothers? We're back with another week of knowledge to to your ear holes, be sure to like and subscribe, and if you're watching on YouTube, hook a brother up and hit those notifications. All right, much like last week, I have a good purpose slash wealth slash investment episode with 3% brother from Queens, New York, Evan Gary. Evan and his partners are real estate investors, and they currently own six rental properties near colleges in New York. We talk about how investing in real estate is quite possibly the easiest method to gain wealth relatively quickly. We also talk about other investments like stocks, mutual funds, and cryptocurrency, and how investing for the long haul is the smartest way to go because solid investments trend upward over time. We also talk about how too many people react to their emotions, and smart investors are naturally contrarian. You know, buy when everyone else is selling or sell when everyone else is buying. If you're interested in getting into real estate, this episode is a can't miss. I'll bring you that conversation right after this. Again, that's duke.comeonmanpod.com. Don't smell like a little bitch. All right, this week I have Evan Gary from Queens, New York, 3% brother. How are you doing today, man?
1: Everything's going well, man. Going well.
0: So uh, before we get into this, one of the things that we're going to talk about, well, primarily what we're going to talk about today is real estate and investing. But um, since you are a 3% man, you're like – we gotten to contact on the 3% man Facebook page. I was curious, how did you find Corey's work and, you know, subsequently joined the 3% man Facebook group?
1: I found his work after a breakup, like most of the guys (laughs) on the group. Yeah. So like I was, yeah. Right. I was, I was like reeling over a breakup, miserable, not knowing what the hell to do and furiously typing on YouTube uh how to how do we get an ex back uh, no contact what to do this what to do that and he showed up the, his bald head and i started <laughs> watching his videos and like everything started clicking It all like stuff that i'd done before that worked stuff that i did before that didn't work he explained it and then that's when i got the book and started reading the book and passing the book on to friends and yeah that's that was a couple years ago three four years ago when i found him and it's been great
0: how many times have you read the book now
1: I've read the book maybe five times now.
0: Five times, okay.
1: Five times. It's a solid amount.
0: Solid amount. It's it's not
1: (laughs) ten to fifteen, but it's it's five. You know, yeah. It's it's enough for me to remember a good amount of it. Yeah. So, are you
0: planning on reading it again anytime soon, or?
1: Yeah. So the way that I take in information, at least, is I can't read it like back to back. I have to give it at least a couple months for me to implement things, and then for me to remember certain things from the book and implement that in real life and then go back and read the book again and it's like oh aha that is what i did wrong this time so that's how i implement when i read things like i read superior man a couple times yeah uh Corey wayne's book five times a couple other books r- various times throughout the course of months years whatever it is
0: yeah i can't i can't listen to it back to back either because it it gets just so boring that you don't even want to listen yeah. to it anymore it and yeah. it, it it's counter—it just—it's counterproductive. So, I like to break it up with other books and stuff like that. A lot of it is uh, sort of what we're going to talk about today. Is like I like to read like finance books and like real estate and um, you know, just wealth building type books. You know, like investments and stuff like that. So, awesome. So yeah, I was curious about that. So, how we sort of got into contact because you and I don't really chat uh, so much on the page. Uh, like I chat with certain guys on the page, like all the time and other guys, I like I, I rarely see comments. And so I don't know, but you popped up because I posted a video I made about a book that I'm listening to now, an audio book called the millionaire fascinated by MJ DeMarco. And I was, and it's a really good book. I'm almost done with it. Uh, but in that video, I was basically saying how, uh, you know, MJ DeMarco was shitting on what he was calling the slow lane method of building wealth which is essentially like the same thing as Dave Ramsey teaches, you know, where you, um, you know, it, it takes like your whole life to do it, but you basically invest in 401ks and, you know, Roth IRAs and you, you know, you're able to retire wealthy. You know, I think that for most people, that's, you know, the pretty typical way to go, you know, if you're somewhat money literate, um, so I just I just didn't like how he was shitting all over it. But you made a, a very good point in there, as, as far as like the foolproof uh, method to building wealth uh, in the, you know over the long term is through real estate, right?
1: Yep, yep absolutely.
0: So uh, and, and the funny thing is, MJ Demarco in the book actually when he finally stops bitching about <laughs> the like the slow lane methods of. of of gaining wealth. He, he eventually starts talking about various ways to get into the fast lane. And like the first thing that he recommends is real estate. Mm. So he says like real estate's probably the easiest way most people can build wealth fast. So he agrees with you on that. So let me ask you a question then. Uh, how, how did you get into real estate?
1: So where I went to college, there was a bunch of off-campus housing and I lived on campus For a year or two. And then I wanted to go off campus, live with some friends, do my own thing, not have to worry about RAs and this person and that person bugging us. Mm -hmm. So I found um, someone who had an off campus house near there. And I lived in there with a couple of my friends. And we split the house with a sorority. So there's three of them and three of us in the house. And once I got in there, I started to realize how much this guy was making on us because he was charging us by the room as opposed to like one fixed price. And this was when I was 20 and I was like, you know what, this is, this would be an awesome thing to get into. Like these guys are making some real cake. And a couple of years went by and I went back when I had some more money saved up with a friend to go look at off-campus houses to do the same thing that this guy was doing. And for whatever reason, you know, it fell through. I was maybe 24 at the time. I was a little young. Um, It fell through. And then fast forward three or four years, I, I made the commitment with two of my partners that are partners now and slash best friends that we're going to start a real estate empire where, you know, one house at a time. And so this happened when I was 27 and we got in touch with uh, realtors that we know that run that area in terms of off-campus houses. And, you know, we bought our first house, second, third, fourth, fifth, and now we're almost in contract for a sixth. And I could oh. go into all the details on that if you like.
0: Got it. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that. So, um, so you basically, you buy houses and then rent them out to, students, right? Like to tenants.
1: That's our niche.
0: Okay. Okay. So you're not like buying and flipping you're, you're buying and, and, and renting them out.
1: So we actually did do a flip a year and a half ago. Okay. Okay. Um, where we actually lost money on, we lost about 15 K on that flip and hmm. I'm happy that we all, I'm not happy that we lost 15 K, but I'm happy that we only lost 15 K cause we could have lost a lot more. We okay. got lucky with, with a specific buyer. But we learned so much from doing that one flip that, for our future flips, which we will eventually do again, we're gonna kill it because we just know what to do
0: now. Got it. Okay. So why did you lose? Uh, why did you lose money on that? Was it that the market dropped, or did you get like put too much into like fixing it up, or what?
1: So, I have two other partners. One of them is a general contractor by trade. That's what he does for a living. Okay. And so, we went into the flip. And he's a very high-end general contractor so everything he does is more on the expensive side he wants it to look nice this finish that nice finish this kind of marble countertop and what we wanted to make this flip you know a high-end flip the problem was it wasn't in necessarily a, a high-end neighborhood worth it for a high-end flip yeah okay. so yeah we put a lot of money into the flip there was also some things that we didn't realize that we were going to have to fix things behind the wall, stuff that you can't see on just a basic inspection. So we, that was a big learning experience for us because we put too much money into the actual reno yeah. and we got a little bit less than we thought we were going to get on the sale. And then once you factor in all the closing costs and the realtor fees, and especially in New York, they're pretty damn high. We ended up in the negative that's just how it, how it happened for that specific flip, you know? Yeah.
0: But it was a good learning experience. Hell yeah. So I, I uh, it's funny that you, you talk about all that stuff. Cause I just had uh, another 3% brother on the page uh, on the, on the podcast uh, named Matt Shepard. And he basically does the same thing. He's uh he's a self-made millionaire and that's, that's what he does. He's a general contractor by trade and he'll buy and flip houses, but he does all the work himself and he's been doing it for so long that he, knows like the market. He knows how much to put into a house. He knows if it's worth the investment or not, that sort of thing. And then he also buys rental properties.
1: Hmm.
0: So uh, it's a very similar story. So I thought it was, it was funny that uh, like, I'm having you guys on back uh, yeah. to back. Yeah, People are going to get sick of real estate here pretty soon. Or maybe <laughs> not, maybe they're all, they're all going to jump into it. I hope uh, they do
1: after this. <laughs> I really do.
0: So is, is real estate like all you do, or do you have, other sources of income right
1: now? So I, by, by my trade, my profession is I'm a partner in a home improvement company.
0: Okay.
1: We, we specialize mostly in painting, flooring, doors, moldings, stuff like that, like surface level repairs and uh, rentals. We don't really necessarily get into the, the hard carpentry kind of stuff or like full demos and all of that. Um, so that's what I do. I do sales Right. So I go into different people's houses and, uh, you know, they call my company along with a couple other companies. And they ask me for estimates on doing this, painting this whole house, redoing floors here. And I give them an estimate. I try to get them to go with my company. I, you know, I sell them to go with my company. And uh, yeah, I mean, I run a specific territory in New York. And, you know, the company itself is, you know, based all over New York and the tri-state area, New Jersey, Connecticut, all that.
0: Okay. Is this your company then?
1: I didn't start the company, but I'm a partner in them now.
0: You're a partner, okay? Yeah, I was gonna say, are you like a serial entrepreneur or something like that? I, no, I not yet, <laughs> I, not yet. I did. I saw something I thought was actually pretty genius because uh, I was looking at your your Facebook page, and uh, like Rick, just kind of getting in preparation for this, I noticed that your company is now also doing uh, COVID. Sanit- uh, was it COVID? Um, sanitization or something like that sanitation yes sanitation yeah Sanit-
1: Sanit- is, now you're confusing me Sanit- I, yeah,
0: sanitation <laughs> yeah so that i think that's a that's genius because that's one of the things like mj demarco sort of you know talks about in the book as far as like you need to find a need and right now there, there's a lot of people that are like paranoid about covid and they want their houses you know to be completely sterile which i think uh i mean my personal opinion it's kind of it's kind of silly you know <laughs> I mean, there's like, it's like, it's, it's going to be impossible to be that clean all the time and you're eventually going to catch it anyway. So it's like, I feel like herd immunity needs to sort of kick into gear. You know, we didn't, we didn't do all this stuff with like the flu and stuff like that, but, but there's plenty of people that need it or they want it or they think they need it. So that's a perfect business opportunity.
1: Yeah. It's funny because before the CDC came out and said that you can't it's very unlikely that you're going to get Corona from surface touching. Cause bef- at first they said you could get it from surface, from airborne, from this, from that. And so the, the business was doing really well at that point. Cause everybody was freaking paranoid. Sure. And then once the CDC came out and said, it's very unlikely that you're get- going to get it from touching surfaces, business kind of went like, mm. you know? Okay. So that was just one thing that the partners thought, Hey, this is actually a really good business. Uh, let's start it up because we're not really doing any painting right now because everything's closed off. It's quarantine, but we can do this. And it did work out for a good amount of time, but now as the vaccines coming out and everything's starting to take shape slowly, it's, you know, it's going to kind of fall into the dust sooner yeah. than later, you know?
0: Yeah. It was a good thing to keep the business afloat then for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It, it's like how, uh, Coors brewery, right. They, uh, during prohibition, they, Stop making beer. Well, they stopped making beer. I'm sure they kept doing it during Prohibition, but yeah. they uh, allegedly turned their, their uh, brewery factory into a textile plant. And that's what kept them afloat during mm. Prohibition. Just, don't yeah. you know, just, it, I mean, smart. I feel like smart business owners will figure out ways to keep business going and bad business owners are going to fail.
1: Yeah, know? absolutely. That's, that's, that's the mindset. That's it. Exi- yep.
0: So uh, another thing that you posted in that, in the original post uh, that, where I asked you to come on the podcast, you said uh, about real estate, never has it gone down over time. It only goes up. And I was, I was thinking, well, I mean, 2008, 2009, it it went down pretty fucking hard. Cause I, I, when I, that was the first time I was able to afford a house. I lived in San Diego at the time. And at that time, a fucking two bedroom shack, you know, like (laughs) was like a half a million dollars and i'm like why is everything so expensive there's no way i'm ever going to be able to afford a house in the town i live in and then the market totally shit the bed and i was like oh look everything's affordable now i was able to buy my house but it did eventually come back up and i think that's that's sort of where you're going with that right like it'll, exactly it'll dip but it'll eventually come back up and um, and Always. what it did that's when my my now ex-wife and i we sold and we made a really decent profit on that house so um, I see where you're saying with that and and I think the 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 same thing can be said too about the stock market you know if you look at like in 2000 um, like the dot-com bust right like stocks were going down or going going up and then they just totally crashed but now they're up way above the, where they were even then mm. and then same thing in 2008 you know a lot of st- like the stock market you know tanked but now it's even, it's even higher than it was in 2008. So, I mean, it trends upwards, you know, everything sort of trends upwards uh, at the end of the day, as long as you, you stay in the game long enough, it'll eventually come back up.
1: Exactly. Um, with, with stocks, it's obviously, you know, there's different levels of stocks. There's like the penny stocks, the blue chip stocks and everything in between the, Blue chip stocks obviously are the ones that, you know, they could go down a little bit. They could go up a little bit, but over time, the bigger companies, they're always going to go up. Even if they merge with this company, with that company, they always go up with stocks. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, the penny stocks are kind of just like all over the place, you know, since COVID started, it's funny because since COVID started, there's been so many new day traders that have come out of nowhere because they're all out of work. So they say, hey, let me, you know, start day trading and that's all good and fancy, but half of them obviously don't know what they're doing because yeah. they're constantly going back and forth. And when they see that their stock like plummets down, it's time to sell, you know, like they get very scared, very emotional decisions. Yeah. And with, with finances and stocks and mutual uh, funds and, and real estate, it's just, you're not going to make money if you operate based out of emotion, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I personally think that the guys that are day traders, it's a fool's game. it's a fool's game. It's like, you're, you're, you're basically gambling every day. You're, you're buying individual, you're, you're buying individual stocks. You're, you're okay. This one, I think this one's a winner. I think this one's a winner. And then it drops, you know, and then you're like, Oh shit, that one, I lost money on that one. It's a lot like cryptocurrency. A lot of people want to invest in crypto and I, I dabbled in it a little bit, but it's so fucking volatile that I'm like, I'm not, I'm getting out. So like when I got into it, it was, um, this is what I was first like learning about investing, you know, and um, that's where I learned about, you know, the uh, people's, the emotional um, aspect of, of investing. And I've learned that you have to be a contrarian when it comes to investing. Like if, if everyone's talking about stock, Oh, this one's, Oh, it's going up. It's going up. It's time to get in time to get in. That's, that's the time to sell. <laughs> because that's where, like, that's where like, it's going to climb, climb and, and get to a bubble. And then everyone's and then it's going to drop. And then, uh, yeah. and so all those people are buying at the top of the market. Cause that's what it's like, everyone's getting excited about it. But mm-hmm. when people are like freaking out and stuff like that, and the market's going down, that's when you, you really kind of want to look at maybe buying. Cause that's a you know, it's the whole idea of buying low, selling high.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But even then, that's like, you know, it, it, you got to take like the, it won't work with day trading. You know, you can't, I just feel like you can't time the market perfectly. So mm-hmm. the best time to get in is when everyone's like freaking out about it. Um, but then you need to stay in. You just need to stay in because it's going to go up and down. But, but crypto goes up and down so drastically. Like when I finally got in, I think it was like around 20 grand a Bitcoin, and then it crashed, like, all the way down to, like, three grand of Bitcoin or something like that. Like, that's a huge drop.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy.
0: And so, do you, think,
1: do you think Bitcoin is going to be the currency of the future?
0: Um, I don't know if it's going to be the currency of the future, but I feel like uh, blockchain technology definitely is uh, something to invest in, you know, but not in the form of, of cryptocurrency. Right. I, I feel like people can use it for all sorts of things like data storage, like secure data storage and stuff like that. And if you invest in software companies that are using it for that, I feel like that's a better investment than uh, investing in cryptocurrency specifically. Hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Rockefeller used to say uh, that the way to make money is to buy one blood's running in the streets. And it's the same, it's the same idea. Like whenever, when it's all crashing and everyone's like, Oh, this, this is, this is bullshit. So, you know, it's at the bottom of the market. That's when you want to get in. yeah, (laughs) That's right. That's when you want to get in. But um, so when I was buying at the top of the market, I bought when it like dropped all the way down to like 3000, 6,000, something like that. But it was fluctuating so much that I finally just stopped putting money in it. And I was like, when it gets back up, to like 25,000, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it all out and put it in something else, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: I don't, but you definitely don't want to sell at the bottom because then you lock in all your losses.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think the same, same goes with real estate. Like, you know, people that bought their houses, you know, sort of top of the market right before the 2008 crash, if they just waited, you know, 10 years or you know, if they could afford to wait 10 years or 15 years and just held on to it, they could have eventually sold and got their money back. But a lot of people just were like, oh, shit, you know, I'm upside down. And then they're all trying to, oh, someone's trying to call me. I don't know why. Um,
1: You're a popular guy. I
0: guess. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people, um, what was I saying? So like, yeah, people, if they had just waited, they could have got their money back, you know, from, from the houses, but they, instead they're just like, Oh, you know, I'm upside down in it. I'm going to short sell or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I it's think
1: that kind of, it's, it's kind of happening right now in a way as well. Yeah. Um, at least, at least in New York. So the amount of people that are moving out compared to moving into the boroughs, you know, the city mm-hmm. is, is extraordinary. There's so many people that have just had it, especially with everything that's going on with COVID that they they're completely moving out of the city. And so you have these landlords that have absolutely nobody to rent to both commercial and residential. And so they're kind of screwed. So they don't know what to do because they're cutting their rents in half and all this, and nobody's biting, nobody wants to rent. So these landlords are selling and they're selling at a lower price. Mm. Okay. This is, this is residential and commercial, but especially commercial, especially landlords of restaurants and bars and all that. Um, I'm sure across the U S they're going so many bars and restaurants are going out of business every day.
0: Um,
1: but it's it's a very it's a similar situation uh, with COVID as with 2008. Yeah. Not as much as 2008, but similar.
0: Yeah, I mean a lot of that stuff in the uh, in 2008. It's it's like I feel like um, like the whole COVID instance is sort of has created its own crisis, you know. Yeah. The, um, whereas like the the 2008 crash that was done because of greedy investors, you know, selling you know, shit loans to people that totally couldn't afford it. So, <laughs> so yep. I mean, it's like, it's like, a, it's a different situation, but yeah, it's the same thing. Like, you know, people can't afford it anymore. And so they're just like walking away and yeah, it's causing, it's definitely causing an issue. So, I mean, but then, so if, if, uh, if people are doing that and they're selling lower, is that like a, a better opportunity for you then to like pick up some, some new real estate investments?
1: It's a better opportunity for Potential buyers that are patient and w- wouldn't mind holding the property for at least a couple more months until everything settles out, maybe six months, a year. I don't know. Who knows when it's gonna settle out? Mm-hmm. But it's 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 for the that landlord that wants to be patient and pay his mortgage out out of pocket pretty much until he gets the tenant, the right tenant in there. Mm-hmm. Does it affect myself and my two partners, not really, because we are in such a niche market that works for us that, in fact, our properties have appreciated um, okay. in this market that we're in right now. They've just gone up.
0: Well, that's good. So yeah. you, you you talked about mortgages and stuff like that. I'm, I'm assuming that you and your partners all have loans out on these properties and, and you're paying them back from the rental revenue. Exactly. If you... Do you have a contingency if for some reason, like you have all these properties and you have no renters? Do you have a, an issue, like a contingency? Do you guys have uh, money saved up that you guys can afford all that? Or what would happen in that situation?
1: So in order for us to even get the mortgage in the first place, and this is partly due to the 2008 crisis, the banks, they are so stringent on lending now. Yeah. And we buy them as an investment property, which means we have to put at least 20% down. Okay. So. Uh, the banks won't lend to you unless you have at least the minimum six months of mortgage payments for that particular house saved in your account. And they will require proof of this. Okay. So we have six months times the six house, five, six houses that we have in our account already. Plus, we all have other uh, sources of income. So God forbid where we are, every single tenant is left. We're good. for are yeah, for a specific amount of time, we're good.
0: Okay, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason why I bring that up is because, um, you know, like, I am a big fan of the Dave Ramsey method. And are you familiar with Dave Ramsey or or his uh, books or anything? I,
1: um, I've watched a couple of his videos. I believe he doesn't like debt. He doesn't he, like right. He doesn't,
0: he doesn't like debt specifically, though. Know, if you if you read uh, Total Money Makeover um, and his Financial Peace University, but he doesn't like it because he was basically doing sort of the same thing that you're doing. He was, he made all of his millions in his twenties by uh, through in real estate. He was buying houses and flipping them and renting them out and all that stuff. And he ended up having like so many loans out on so many properties. And then like, I think the story is that uh, the bank that he was, he was getting his loans from like sold or something like that. And the new owners of the bank, decided to call in all of his loans at once and he couldn't afford it. And he basically like, you know, lost everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so then, so that's why he's like, he, he hates debt. And, uh, but he didn't decri- declare bankruptcy. He was, he like figured out his debt snowball method to get out of, to get out of debt. Um, but yeah, that's why, that's why I was asking about that. Like what happens if they call in all the loans at once, but you guys have six months of savings in the, in the bank. Or just at least so you can make payments on it or whatever. If they called it yeah. all at once, you guys wouldn't be able to pay it all at once. That that would be ridiculous. I don't think no. I don't think most people could do that.
1: Yeah. No. No. Not not like real. You know, w- with our model, we we haven't taken. We've been in the business for three years and we haven't taken a penny out as profit yet. We just completely and continually reinvest it into the next house and into the next house and into the next house.
0: Nice. You know? Okay. Yeah. So you um. So you're so are you, are you getting the, uh, the rental money. You're obviously able to, to make payments then on your existing loans, but then do you, just, do you still take some of that then and put it aside so that you can get your next loan? Is that how that works?
1: Yeah. All the money goes into each house has a separate bank account. And then when the tenants pay us to rent, it goes into that specific bank account. And the money doesn't get touched until we find the next house to put a down payment on.
0: Okay. Okay, yeah. okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same, but at the same time, you're still paying back the old loans, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The mortgage, it's you know auto-generated to come out of each account every month.
0: Okay. Got it.
1: The amount. Yeah.
0: So, um, so the the amount that you're charging in rent then, is it? Uh, does that include like the cost of the mortgage plus a little bit of profit so that you guys can s- store it for the next house then?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Um, so my method of investing, because there's, there's different methods of investing in real estate. It depends how safe you want to be to how risky you want to be. With us, we are in the middle of safe and risky in terms of our method. On, I personally would not advise anybody to invest in real estate unless they're turning a profit on top of the mortgage, on top of the, the yearly expenses. Mm-hmm. If there's no profit, it's not a good deal in my eyes, right? Yeah, Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so our house is... I'll just give you an example of our worst case house, in, in terms of our profit. Um, the house is worth about four hundred and seventy five five hundred thousand. So that means, as an investor, I have to put down twenty percent, plus you know, mortgage fees, closing costs as the buyer. So let's say I'm into the house one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Okay. Now, for that particular house, I'm renting it for around sixty four hundred a month, six thousand to sixty four hundred a month, which is pretty high for that neighborhood but the neighborhood i don't care about because i'm renting to students by the room mm-hmm. so i have a house there that's 7 to 8 bedrooms and i'm renting it for 6000 to 6400 a month yeah now the the mortgage on that house is going to be give or take anywhere from 2800 to
0: 3200 mm.
1: so you see that's a a <coughs> that's monster a, profit right for one house yeah um and then you know you figure the yearly expenses are about two to three thousand, um, so you know effectively we're we're turning over each house at 30, uh, $30 to forty five thousand dollars a year in profit, and that's after mortgage after expenses.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: So, the way I think about it is, if I'm putting one hundred and twenty thousand as a down payment into into a property for an investment, and I'm making back every year forty thousand. That means I can pay back my initial investment after three years. My yeah. money will be back in my hands, and then from there, it's just profit. Yeah, you know that's the beautiful thing about our specific niche, and there's many niches like this across the U.S. There's Airbnbs, um, there's hundreds of other college campuses that people could buy and invest near there. People are doing it now, and there, there is a market for it. You know.
0: Yeah. Have you read um, "Rich Dad Poor Dad" by Robert yes. Kiyosaki? that's it's almost exactly you're describing exactly like what he talks about doing. Like he talks about borrowing money from, you know, and then uh, you know, making profits, you pay back the bank. and now he's like, you essentially it didn't cost you any money out of pocket. Now all of a sudden you have all this money.
1: It's exactly. like money out,
0: it's like free money out of thin air. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a little more complicated than that, but
1: it, it is. It depends how, yeah, I mean, what you're saying, free money out of thin air it it kind of is after a while because, the scariest part about investing in real estate and you could probably attest to this because you own the house you're in now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always buying like the first house mm-hmm. and, and just like you just not knowing if something goes wrong, God forbid you can't afford it for whatever reason. Yeah. And then for us, at least after the first house, we got a lot of the nerves out and a lot of the kinks with how to manage the house. After that, the other houses are pretty much like business as usual now. You yeah. Know? Um. So that, that's like the beautiful thing about real estate is if you do it right, you could have the money that you initially invested back in your pocket sooner than later, if you're patient.
0: Got it. Yeah. Uh, uh, some people like like Dave Ramsey look at the house that you live in as your greatest investment. Whereas people like Robert Kiyosaki says, no, the house that you live in is not an investment. It's a, yeah. it's a liability because like if anything goes wrong, it takes money out of your pocket. You got to fix it. You got, you know... So I don't really look at my house here as like, as an investment. It's just, it's just where I live, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, and I'm not looking to buy it, to sell it. So I can like, you know, make, make a profit on it and get another house. Like, I just want to live here, <laughs> you know, but, but, the, but what you're do, what you and your friends are doing, your partners, that's 100% a hundred uh, percent a, an asset. Cause you're, you're making uh, money hand over fist with it.
1: Indeed. Yeah. And just to touch on what you're saying about your house. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. You want to just be a human being, chill out, don't have to worry about uh selling it, profit, this, that, you just want to live. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um now, I uh like you said, there's uh Ramsey believes this, Kaya, kaya I can't say his name, kaya Kiyosaki, I think. Kiyosaki yeah. says it's not an investment. Also, I don't know if you know of Grant Cardone, he's a big real estate guy too. Um, no, okay. He says, no, it's not an investment to me. My, my answer to that question is it could be, it could not be. It depends how long you're going to live in the house. If you're living in it for five years and then you sell it. No, it's probably not an investment because you're not really going to make money. You might even lose. Um, even if it does appreciate because your mortgage, you're paying mostly interest the first somewhat years on the mortgage. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you hold the house for like 10 years and then whatever reason you want to sell it, it is an investment because you will be making money on that appreciation and also paying off the mortgage Got it. instead of, instead of paying rent to somebody else for those 10 years.
0: Got it. Yeah. No. Okay. That makes it. Yeah. So it's, it just depends on the situation, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And yeah. what you're doing with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so you mentioned, you also mentioned in your, in your uh, post that uh, you're, you think you'll be able to retire in about 10 years uh, right. on this front. So What's your exit strategy then?
1: Our our exit strategy, it, in terms of a number of houses that we want to have, honestly, that number is kind of unlimited. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm being realistic, in 10 years, realistically, we should have somewhere between 15 to 25 houses or properties, multifamilies, or one or the other, something like that. Mm-hmm. And if that is the case, between three partners, it will be enough money if we wanted to, to retire and just live off of those profits.
0: Yeah. What I would, what I would imagine then is you're not necessarily retiring from the real estate game. It would be retiring from your day jobs.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, right now we only have uh, five, six coming up houses that we have, and we're actively managing them. We don't have a property manager. We, don't, we all live maybe 25, 30 minutes away from them. So it's not difficult for us to manage them. But once we get up to 10, 15, 20, we're probably going to have a property manager. Um, and yes, that will take a little bit of our profits out of it, but it'll also be a lot less of a headache. And it'll also be checks coming into the mail for us doing practically nothing, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, after, after a certain amount you yeah it it sort of behooves you to uh offload that work to someone else you you know the cost is worth it you'll still be making enough profits that you know it'll be you'll be just fine you probably won't even feel it and then you'll you'll do less work and you'll spend more time drinking you know margaritas and shit
1: that's right that's it (laughs) on the beaches of greece and cancun
0: yeah I think, I think um, you would actually like this, the MJ DeMarco book. Cause that, I mean, that's exactly sort of what he talks about. He's like, you, you sort of bust your tail, you know, the, he talks about getting, getting rich within the first five years, but mm-hmm. it's the same, I mean, five years, 10 years, whatever. It's like you bust your tail now so that you can, you know, not have to work in, in five to 10 years and you can just chill and just that money just keeps rolling in. And it's just, you don't have to do anything still comes yeah. in.
1: It's very possible, very possible, but people just are very over, get, get very overwhelmed. they don't know where to start. and um, I mean there's a, a shit ton of information on the internet now with, about real estate, um, any kind of real estate. There's so much to learn that people can just type it in and, and learn. I mean, I personally did not learn through the internet because uh, I actually learned through a realtor a lot of the things. our, our we have two realtors that, Work with us and they have the connect all over there. Even before a house goes on the market, they know about it. We're usually the first ones in there because they know we're serious. We don't really mess around. When we put an offer in, they know if it gets accepted, we're not going to back down. I'm sorry, back out. Like we're very serious buyers and that's our reputation. So the realtors that we love them, we're our friends now, they they take care of us whenever they can with houses or whenever something comes on the market. And I think that's key to anybody that wants to get started in real estate to find. Find the right players in the game.
0: Find the right place. See, I was going to ask you that. Like, what advice do you have for people that want to get into real estate, and so you want to find the right players? Do do, yeah. some, do some networking, and
1: yeah, that's it's it's that's huge. Um, there's meet, you go on meetup.com, and there's all kinds of networking events for real estate in the nearest city or town or whatever. Uh, I know, obviously, here in New York, it's there's all over the place where they have these kinds of uh, meetups. And you'll also meet other people that have money that don't necessarily know what to do either, or don't have a property. And you could team up with them. I personally found my two partners. They're my best friends from college. And we all have this same mindset of where we want to be. And we all have the money to put in. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, one of my partners has a, his own contact that had a couple hundred thousand dollars and he didn't know what the hell to do with it. So he gave it to us and we invested it into real estate. And now we're paying him back on top of the mortgage um, a certain amount, but we're still profiting even after all that being said. Yeah. Um, so I think that, like you said, in order in, in to get involved with the real estate game, at least, the best thing to do is to start networking, find the realtors and the property managers that are in the game. And they know the houses and they know the tenants and they know everything about what it is you want to get involved with and talk to them and get to know them, take them out to lunch. And once you do that, it's a matter of coming up with the money and then finding the property. And there are a lot of properties to be had in this, in in today and yesterday, tomorrow, they're going to be there. It's just a matter of taking that first step and, and investing, you know?
0: Got it. Do you worry about competition though? Like, um, I mean, I guess what would your competition be people trying to buy the same properties or would it be like the uh, the property owner next door that's trying to rent their place out? Like,
1: so, yeah, it's funny. You say that because um, I'm happy you mentioned that because there is competition. We are in a competitive market around where we are. There are maybe five or six other landlords that have a set of houses that are also renting to the same market as us. And, so we're, we're constantly kind of keeping an eye on the other landlords and what they're doing. Some of them are demoing their old house and building it up even bigger and better for the, kid, for the students to go there. Some have slumlord houses where they have to lower the rent for kids to go there. So uh, we actually bought two of the houses from a, a, a competitor. He sold them to us. Um, and it was a mutual thing because instead of us buying a house that's, not on our niche market right now mm-hmm. and the possibility of it getting oversaturated with our tenants, because there's only so many tenants that are going to live off campus. There's only so many people that go to college and there's only so many people that want to live off campus. After a while, if you keep buying houses and houses and houses, there may come a point where your house is empty because everybody's already in other houses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we bought uh, these two houses from our competitor who already had students in there. And so we bought a, a on day one of closing, we were making a profit because we didn't have to worry about getting it rented. It was already rented. There's already profit coming in. Mm. So yeah, uh, but there is definitely a competitive market with all real estate, especially our niche. But because we have this connect with our realtors, uh, we're kind of like the first ones in there most of the time.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this has been really fascinating, man. Um, I think I'll, I have one more question for you and then we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Um, and this goes back to the 3% man stuff. And I asked this to everybody, but what, what does being a 3% man mean to you?
1: Being a 3% means being authentic as humanly possible, uh, living from your core truth as a man, um, not listening to what your friends say, what your mom says, what that stupid show romantic show on TV says in terms of a woman acting from your core living your purpose, something that you're actually, that's a cute cat.
0: A cat's driving nuts. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, like the key takeaway from reading Corey Wayne's book is generally, abstractly be a man, do what you want to do when you want to do it, live from your true core, live on purpose, find your purpose, find your passion. Because I've been in, in jobs where I wasn't passionate about it. And that has affected my dating life, my social life. I just was miserable. I didn't, I didn't care. And then I've been in work where I was super passionate about it. And I woke up every day, like I was on fire. So that's what a 3% man means to me.
0: I, I think that's a good answer. God. Cat's over here. She's bringing her little bell. My son's outside playing with his friend banging on
1: shit. <laughs> you got your hands full.
0: Oh, it's driving me nuts. I love it when I tell my kids, Hey, I'm gonna be recording a podcast and you should be quiet. Yeah, yeah, no problem, Dad. Yeah, my (laughs) friend came over. Jesus Christ. Anyway. Well, (laughs) Evan, I really appreciate you meeting with me today, man. Yeah, no problem, Paul. All right, dude. I I'll see you on the page.
1: All right, man. Take it easy. All right.
0: All right. Evan, it was such a pleasure having you on the show, man. I'm really glad your real estate empire is booming for you and your partners. I also hope that what Evan shared today will help some of you on your road to wealth and prosperity. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Come On, Man. If you're new to the podcast, I highly recommend reading How to Be a 3% Man by Corey Wayne at least 10 to 15 times. I recommend you watch his coaching videos on YouTube, and I recommend that you engage with other 3% men in our 3% Man Facebook group. Links to all of these are in the show notes. If you like this episode, please give us a good rating on your podcast platform of choice, and share with all of your bros now go out and get it